welcome to season three of This Is Your Life in Silicon Valley, a podcast about the Bay Area, technology, and culture. I'm your host, Sunil Rajaraman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Yasha Kekis-Wolf. Hey, uh, hey, Sunil. Hey. <laughs> so I was uh, in a meeting with you, uh, and I was looking over your shoulder, and I saw your little notepad where you're writing down like your daily goals. And one of your goals was become celebrity in San Francisco. So how's that going? Yeah, uh, not so much. Uh, I have no designs on becoming a San Francisco celebrity. Well, I know. I was teasing. We weren't really in a meeting together, and I don't really read things over your shoulder. I can't even read your handwriting anyways. But the topic of celebrity in San Francisco is kind of intriguing. It's fascinating. And our guest today, Susan McTavish Best, has some really interesting insight as she's hosted some of the top uh, technology executives and, and basically generally people in the Bay Area at her home. Yeah, I, in a recent uh, magazine article, Susan McTavish Best is described as Martha Stewart meeting the Royal Tenenbaums for the digital set. You know, and there's, I, I think that's a quite an oversimplification. I mean, she is a really fascinating person, as we learn from this conversation. She, uh, she recently was offered a, a book deal. It sounds like from WME to be the Marie Kondo of salons. I think when, when you consider what is important and interesting and culturally significant in San Francisco, you also have to have a perspective about what is going on outside of San Francisco. And she brings that to the table today in the discussion. It's about New York. It's about Los Angeles. It's about San Francisco all together. And I loved her line about what it would take to fix San Francisco's PR problem. So please stick around for that. Enjoy. You want to wear your headset, Sunil, today? Uh, I think I'm going to skip the headset today, actually. Wow, that's very cavalier of you. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's going to be one of those. Um, no, I'm teasing. It, we really appreciate you being here. Uh, what we were learning about you as we were walking into the room to record mm -hmm. is that you don't spend all of your time in the Bay Area. Has that always been the case? Did you grow up here? I did not grow up here. I, I mostly grew up in Scotland, um, which isn't immediately... What's apparent. mostly mean? <laughs> Which isn't immediately apparent when you hear my voice. Um, I moved there and started going to sleepaway, sleepaway school there when I was about eight. Um, but I was actually born on a little island off of Canada called Prince Edward Island. Oh, do, are you a Canadian? Do you reference yourself as a Canadian? Or do you know, I definitely am a little bit of Canadian, for sure. Um, though I have a U.S. citizenship, and I do not have a British citizenship. Yeah. And, and as you were growing up in sleepaway school, um, were there... Were there ever points in your life where you said, the thing that I want to do is live in San Francisco? Well, um, yes, I suppose I'd always had San Francisco uh, in my mind. My mother moved out here, um, funny enough, uh, in 1959 or 1960, and she was, it was an unlikely place for her to move. She was a New York debutante. She turned up in San Francisco with white gloves, and she uh, got her first job by knocking on the doors along Embarcadero, where I just came as I was coming in for this interview, and I was thinking about this, and she worked in an architect's firm there. So San Francisco was a big part of her life and then became part of mine. Did she tell you stories about San Francisco that uh, romanticized it for you as you were young? For sure, absolutely. She was an anchor woman when they had them. Uh, I don't think they do anymore, really, at KQED. Um, so I always heard a lot of stories uh, from that was, of course, during the 60s. And uh, then she moved uh, to Mill Valley from living in Pacific Heights to the top of Mount Tam. And strangely, I ended up living across the street from her house. 
Um, so I always heard stories about the Bay Area, and my godmother lives here still. So. Did you live by that big white bulbous thing on the top of Mount Tam? Not quite that far up, but pretty close up on Summit, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, it's delicious over there. It smells so good. So I'm really fascinated by this idea that you, you come to a city and mm. you essentially become a cultural figure within the city. Uh, you are you're obviously very well known for a lot of things that you've done, both in the media world and salons you put on. We're going to talk about salons later, by the way. But how do you do that? How do you go from, you know, coming here to becoming a cultural icon? Ah, well, there's been a lot of time to do that. <laughs> um, I moved out here in the mid-90s, and I, I knew no one. I had a boyfriend who was out here and my godmother. The boyfriend didn't last long. Um, the godmother was still around, but I didn't know anyone. And I was also uh, painfully shy growing, uh, particularly through university. And, um, you know, I got a job at a PR agency, which was not my dream. Um, and I quit within a year. But it was really right when the uh, tech was taking off, and I took some of the clients with me. Um, and I, I also had phone phobia, which was not very good in the 90s for working in PR. So I started Wait, gathering. Phone phobia? I was scared to call call use the phone because uh, I was too shy. <laughs> yeah. So I started gathering people. I knew how to cook. I'd worked actually while I was in university. I worked uh, at a farm up in Mendocino. So I learned how to cook for 60 people three times oh, a day. That wasn't Mendocino Farms, was it? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was, uh, no, it was not. It was Emmendale. But I learned how to cook for a lot of people very casually for 60 people three times a day. So that's what I started Very doing. casually? <laughs> very casually. Yeah. Um, as anyone knows who's been to my house, it's extremely casual um, and imperfect. So I started doing that. I just started gathering people, and um, when I started the PR firm, I also started one of the first online guides to San Francisco at the same time. And it was a you know those early days of the internet when you uh, don't have much money and everything was community effort. I paid the writers by hosting brunches for them. So you've been through a couple of boom and bust cycles in mm. the Bay Area. Tell tell us a story from the first dot com boom that might surprise our listeners ah a story from the first dot-com boom well i mean there were there was really actually a company called startups.com um can you imagine that i don't know who owns the domain anymore but you know it was there was an area of town called audio alley because listen.com was was big then i mean that was about 1999 and and lots of money floating around and what i've realized living in san francisco I'm not really a fan of the city when there's a lot of money. So I actually left in 99. I packed my Toshiba Tekra laptop and my wireless modem, and I went off to India for about five or six months to see if I could still run an online guide to San Francisco from India. I wanted to get back to where technology was kind of at its core and, and you know, taking off. So that I, I left here for a little while. Uh, so you, you left in 99, and uh, you go to India, and <laughs> what, do you, what do you learn in India, or what's the, like, what's, what, what are some of your you know, takeaways from India? Yeah, I mean, it, it did get me actually back to the heart of why I liked technology at the time then. And I, just to, be, you know, to take a few steps back, as I said, I went to sleepaway school in Scotland. I had never used a computer. Um, I have about 500 fountain pens, so I, you know, learned about technology here. I went back to school at night to learn how to, I mean, we don't, didn't call it coding at the time, but that's what it was to San Francisco State. 
Um, so to go back, to, so to go to India, I, I went around and looked at how technology was being used in education in different schools, both public and private. But I would, you know, went up to the Himalayan foothills, and I remember having to tap into telephone lines with, with uh, what are those called, like frog crocodile clips, to try and get any kind of connection that I could load up a review of the end up here in San Francisco. Um, but it did bring me back to technology. The yeah. end up, I know that place. That <laughs> of course. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I wanted to go back to the, the Sunil question of yeah. how do you become a cultural icon in San Francisco? Not because um, I'm particularly interested in it, but Sunil really wants to become a cultural icon of San Francisco. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm teasing. But uh, interesting in how you talk about just the love for bringing people together yeah, I was gonna is say a big it's driver a, for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's how you do it is you just, for me, it was, um, you know, there wasn't social media in those days. I brought people together and the people were a little spiky who uh, would want to come together, you know. Um, actually, I mean, I brought up startups.com, but I got an email from someone I didn't know who'd heard about these brunches I hosted and this online guide, and he emailed me wanting to write restaurant reviews for Noe Valley, and it was the co-founder of startups.com because he'd heard that coming over to my house was a really great place, or actually my crappy apartment, was a really great place to recruit. Um, so I got to know a lot of people from different worlds. So uh, you, you mentioned something kind of interesting. You don't like San Francisco when there's a lot of money. So what do you mean by that? And what is it about, you know, San Franciscans with money that prickles you a bit? Or is that mm. the wrong way? Wrong that's word probably, yeah, that's not, I'm not sure it's the San Franciscans with money that prickles me. That doesn't prickle me at all. And I think so many people here are trying to do a good job um, with their money. Uh, but San Francisco really shines when it's at its most creative. And that, that's sort of why I came to San Francisco. A lot of people have come to San Francisco over the years to discover themselves and to discover something, whether it's gold or railroads or, or you know, their sexuality. And when there's a lot of money, there's a lot less discovery, I think, going on, and there's a lot le less curiosity. Um, but when there is no money, people are creative, and you flush away all the people who've come just to make a quick buck. I used to, in the first dot-com boom in, you know, in the late 90s, I called them the BSers. And it was, you know, it was a lot of guys. They came out in their Audis from Wall Street and they blue, wore their blue shirts. Yeah, no, it, it, <laughs> and, and we must yeah. be at peak BSer right We're now. We're definitely again. at peak BSer right now. Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> I think we probably are. And is that why you're spending most of your time in New York at the moment? Well, I mean, I've lived here for a long time, um, and I think it is healthy for all of us to get up and move, uh, whether it's part-time or full-time, just to, I like to shake things up in myself because people, certainly in San Francisco, you become an icon, you become some, something that's known, and that doesn't allow for very much personal growth or business growth, I think, as well. So I actually moved to New York um, about nine years ago. Uh, I was badly injured in an accident here. I was... Uh, burned and it was after that for me I needed a change and right now do you consider the Bay Area to be your home you just said you live in New York but do yeah, you still consider San Francisco to be your home I do absolutely I think both are my home yeah and I'm very spoiled now from going back and forth yeah, yeah. And, and is it is that a is that a practical thing to do to no live in both no, sides no, of no no it's not practical at all I mean, no, really, it's not practical at all. Um, I wouldn't encourage too many people to do it, and it's expensive. Um, but for me, it was the right thing to do creatively because I just wanted to keep pushing myself further ahead. So logistically, like, how do you split the time between the two parts of the country? I don't 
don't even know where I'm going to be next week, actually. Um, but I do go back and forth. Uh, sometimes it's once a week, but every couple of weeks. Yeah, I have a dog here, which keeps me somewhat rooted to California. Um, but I do go back and forth a lot. But I travel easily. I have, you know, two full homes. I have half and half that hasn't gone off usually in both homes. So if that want for kind of creativity is a driver for you and where you spend your time, are there commonalities between New York and San Francisco that you've felt over the course of the last nine years? Mm -hmm. Or are they just completely different? I think they're pretty like different. Them? I think they're pretty different. Um, I mean, I feel like I should preface this by saying I don't go out a huge amount. Um, so most things I do socially, or a lot of them, are in my own home. So I'm seeing a sliver of whatever that life is. Um, but so I've, yeah, I'm, I'm not always super up on the culture of the city itself. Yeah. Yeah. How do how do people in New York talk about the Bay Area right now? And so, you know, we talk about the uh, a little bit before this podcast, we talked about the fetish fetishization mm. of Bay Area culture. What do people in New York say about the Bay Area? Well, I love doing uh, evenings around technology in New York because um, and we were saying this before we started recording that there is a fascination of Silicon Valley around the world. Of course, there is. Right? There's a lot of money to be made here. And a lot of the people are seen as being somewhat eccentric and odd. Um, in New York, when I first moved there, uh, I wouldn't say I was everyone's best friend, but I, a, a lot of people wanted to get to know me because I was connected to the Bay Area. There's a lot of money in New York and finance people, and they want to invest in the Bay Area. Um, but it's hard sometimes to come here and, and have the founders uh, really trust you. So, um, and now I think fast forward, Obviously, there's a lot of New York money here, but uh, New York media, or as someone called it, you know, downtown media, is fascinated with Silicon Valley. And they really, and I think this is something you had mentioned recently on social media, Sunil, is New York media really kind of wants to take Silicon Valley down a peg or two. And um, so that, that's something I've really noticed. I mean, we, I think we've all noticed that. You know. Do you feel that in the conversations that are happening in your house? No. Uh, I don't, not not too much, because I wouldn't really stand for that. And also, people see me as being in both places, um, so it's not about trashing Silicon Valley at all. Mm -hmm. um, and if there is anyone who I get the sense might want to do that, then I might not invite them back. You know. What do you, What do you think that Silicon Valley would have to do to redeem itself to New York? <laughs> what is it? What penance does okay. does the Valley have I to mean, pay? This is something that blue shirts and blazers potentially yeah. mandatory uniforms. Yeah, it could be potentially horribly requoted, but I I do think San Francisco has a PR problem right now. Um, I mean, I think we all know that, and I don't know how it's going to be could be solved in the short term. I don't see it being solved quickly. Um, a, a natural disaster. <laughs> I really have, I've been I've been thinking about it a lot. I've talked about it with a couple of you know journalists here. I was like, gosh, San Francisco is just going to keep on getting reamed and railed in the press unless like there's a big earthquake. And if we come together as a community of people from all different worlds. But, um, you know, it might take five or ten years minus an earthquake. Well, as, as a, a communications expert, mm. and you, and you, you kind of, I think, rightfully call out that San Francisco's got a PR problem right now, what are the major elements that are the drivers of that PR problem? Is it just about wealth? Is it about the bro culture? Is it about, like, what are the, what are the elements that you think drive that PR problem for the Bay Area right now? Okay, so I think um, there's bro culture. Oh, that's maybe really a l little last year, but I presumably it still exists. Um, I did do a fun evening in New York, of course, with Emily Chang on Brotopia. 
Um, wealth. Okay, we're all fascinated by wealth around the world because all of us, for the most part, are less wealthy than the billionaires that we're reading about. Um, so there's that. And, and then when you come to San Francisco, it's grubby. It's dirty. Um, now, I just didn't feel like that as I was going along in Barcadero, but I feel that in my neighborhood in Pacific Heights when I get off the plane. I live in Soho in New York. New York has gotten a little dirtier recently with the more recent mayor. Um, but you come to San Francisco and it's in your face. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to solve that, honestly. <laughs> so, so this perception of you know, inequality between the extremely wealthy and you know, sort of it's sort of, sort of like Mumbai, right, in a way. Yes, I mean, and know. I have, I actually haven't been to Mumbai, but yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's just, it is confounding that uh, I just don't see an end to the PR cycle. End. I mean, it's, no, I, mean, I don't either. I mean, that's what I was trying to say. Is it's going to be 10 years. What's the end game of all of this? How does this play out, right? So San Francisco keeps investing in companies, uh, I, and, you know, some of them are, are not going to maybe have the appeal that they, you know, and then, and then the New York media is going to, uh, not necessarily New York, other places as well. Right, right. Even the San Francisco media, quite frankly, um, you have you know journalists covering companies, and uh, and naturally there's there's a little bit of a you know I, I don't know what the right word to characterize it, but just a disconnect. And so what what is it going to take to to turn this around? You know? I, I think there's going to be a continue to be a drain from San Francisco, a brain drain here, um, to moving to say L.A. I mean, I think that's maybe what's going to happen is it's it, it's going to take a little while for San Franciscans to notice it, but people are moving away, and I think it might just be that that people move away, the creative folks move away, and you know we're not talking Oakland, but to another corner of the state or to another city, and San Francisco might just become another lovely bland-ish city with a great view. So I want to talk about the word. Speaking of, so one thing that I think angers the the media to some extent is the reinvention of things that already seem to exist uh you know in the, in the like form, what in the form of you know, well let's take <laughs> let's take a specific example salons okay there we go so you yeah. uh you know have essentially you know been doing salons for 20 plus years mm. now we see a lot of people using that term <laughs> a little bit more generically can we can we talk about that for a second because that feels like I, I feel like I've been invited to five salons in the past month. Oh, I just love that. That makes me so happy. Uh, I would actually have been meaning to go in and do a search of the term salon getting in, in the U.S. lexicon of just like shooting up. Um, I just handed in what I hope is a final uh, book proposal last night. For the record, Yasha invited me to a salon <laughs> late last year. Yeah, really? No, that's yeah. no one's inviting me to salons. I'll wow. have you know. I want to be invited to a salon. <laughs> Um, I think the secret is you just have to start your own salons and then yeah. invite people. Well, and I, I, my, my book proposal is I will be the Marie Kondo of hosting salons. You're going to all start hosting salons. So I'm actually thrilled to hear this because, you know, gathering people together in person, not digitally, is a, is a great thing. Like, what's the difference between a salon and a fucking dinner party? <laughs> like, can you just... Well, oh, I can totally tell you. Yeah. Let me tell you exactly. absolutely a difference. Okay. okay. Or a Jeffersonian dinner. Like, what... Oh, right? what's... I don't know what a Jeffersonian dinner is, but maybe I used to know. <laughs> when I was in school. Um, a salon, you know, there's a sense of purpose, right? You choose a topic, and first of all, it should not be fancy. It shouldn't be poncy. It shouldn't be intimidating. You choose a topic. The topic could be anything. Um, the future of media in San Francisco. You find an expert or two. 
and you throw out some questions to them. That's it. Why do you bother doing that? Because it's not another fucking dinner party. It's not another cocktail party. There's a sense of purpose. People make a little bit more effort. Uh, people are curious, and that is something that we, you know, we want to instill more curiosity, I think, in people. Um, there's, yeah, it, there's a reason for it. I think and the Jeffersonian dinner is just a single-threaded conversation at a dinner party. That's is all that, that it is. It's is not right? a, yeah, you're not going there because you are uh, interested in the people that may be there that you can learn from. It's not about a shared sense of purpose. It's about a dinner that you've been invited to for which the host says, I'm going to, I believe this is right, mm. I'm going to manage the conversation, and it's going to be single-threaded. So Oh, I've never done that. I mean, I just anything, you know, for, for people to gather folks in their home or wherever it is, it's fantastic. You know, you just whether it's a salon or a dinner party. Again, I don't really get invited to dinner parties. Either. Well, so disclosure, <laughs> I have been to a salon at your house. Uh, the uh, that was when I first uh, met you. It was one that you co-hosted with NPR. With NPR. That's right. And off the record. Uh, so I'm not allowed to share who yeah. was there or anything like that. So I won't. I won't do it. But that was a really. That was really interesting. So that and that was a little bit unusual from the kind I do. But um, but that was fun, right? People were, were able to be frank, and we were talking. It was really like talking about the future, what's going on in Silicon Valley. Um, but people, you know, love a little bit of entertainment. There is an element of theater to it, though. There, I suppose, there doesn't need to be. I'm trying to think. Let's see. My next one that I'm going to do is in London. And it's with the psychologist Robert Plowman, who just wrote the book, you know, Nature versus Nurture Blueprint. So, you know, I'll interview him. It's invite only. When I do them, they're invite only. It's from my network. And the other thing about a salon is it's from people from all different walks of life and all different ages. I usually try and have like a 60 to 65 year age span, which is fantastic. How often do we get to do that, right? Um, that's a friend of mine here in San Francisco runs the Good People Dinners, which is a, a oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah, and that that's his one major learning that he always shares whenever anybody yeah. asks him. He's like the the secret to a lively evening is that you've got to have diversity in age. I think you might have been inspired by coming over to my place, if I recall. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have a I have a salon request: bring yeah. together the journalists and the most prominent tech CEOs and see if everybody can just say, okay, look, let's let's hug it out. Let's find our common ground. I mean, I do do that informally. I actually haven't done a salon in San Francisco for quite a while. Um, I suppose in part because I felt like people weren't curious enough here. The last salon I did here was on plant intelligence. Um, but I actually, I mean, when people come, it's a lot of tech CEOs and, and journalists. But we're not talking about that topic specifically. You said it more like you wanted to do like an MMA ring. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of like <laughs> He's like, just make it interesting that way. <laughs> I think, like, the, the salons are wonderful if you're introverted. I, like, I'm super introverted. So I, I completely relate to this. Like, I don't like to call people. I have to have a job where I have to be public in Ooh. some regards. But my happiest place is when we get to have people in our home, and it's an evening that there's a little bit of theater. And theater doesn't have to be formal and obnoxious. Not it's not like Broadway when you say theater. Not it's at just, all. like, curate it. Make it interesting. I was just, um, I was just, as I was finishing up this proposal last night, I mean, part of it, what I included kind of at the last moment is I... Um, yeah, I not massively like enjoy being in front of crowds, but by having people over in my home, it's an opportunity to connect with folks. And typically when someone comes over to my house for the first hour, I'm cooking because I'm not very good at the chit chat. And so I leave the guests to do it. And then finally, you know, once the food is out, they're going to like me because they're hungry. And then we can get started on the conversation. <laughs> very self-deprecating. Susan is very self-deprecating. Um, what's a big idea that's come out of one of your salons i know they're off the record but is has 
Has there been a oh, salon? Oh, no, actually, the salons mostly are all on the record. Yeah. What is a big idea? Yeah. Has anyone, you know, walked away from a salon and said, wow, I'm starting a company, or I'm going to work with this person, or I'm oh, going ri- to write a book? Yeah. I mean, there have been so many. I, well, I mean, write a book. Matt Richtel at the New York Times, who's written five or six books and won a Pulitzer probably about eight or ten years ago for uh, – talking about writing a book about distracted driving and writing a series. He met another friend of mine, Sean, uh, who's a founder um, of a tech company here. Uh, He met him in my hallway, I think, and then he became one of his main characters in his next novel. I mean, there's so many stories like that, you know. Fascinating. Okay, so maybe maybe (laughs) I'm soft-sold on salons. I'll come to your next one, yeah. Uh, What is... Of your boldest prediction about San Francisco in the next five years, give me. It could be in any category. It could be, uh, I don't know, who's going to be mayor, something big that happens. What's a bold prediction? This, this is not a bold prediction. I already said it, but it's um, people are going to keep moving away from here. Hmm. And is it, it? Everybody's going to move to LA. LA is hot right now. It is hot. It is fun. It's creative. <laughs> people are curious. I don't live there. Um, but I did just come back from there. I, yeah, everyone's moving to L.A. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's yeah. like it's still like everyone's moving there. I mean, I was just there. I just had this salon there um, with one of the co-CEO of Calm, Michael Acton Smith. It's like everyone's moving to L.A. So, so rank your top three favorite cities right now. Right now. Right now. No hesitation. Yeah. London, New York, L.A. Whoa. Okay. London. Why London? Why London? Well, the top? I don't know. I mean, I, they're all equal for me, so I didn't mean that London was number one. Well, I, you know, I grew up in Scotland, um, so I have a lot of, you know, I have a lot of connections there. And for me, it's like it's fertile ground to go do salons. Um, I think I'm doing three or four there this year. I've already done like three in the last six months. What's your best neighborhood or your favorite neighborhood in London right now? Shoreditch, yeah. which is not. I mean, it's not. I lo- I used to live up in Hampstead which I love, but Shoreditch is perfect for what I'm doing because it doesn't offend anyone, right? You know, if you do, do something in West London, it's clearly like, oh, this has got to be foreign money. If you do something in Shoreditch, the press are going to be fine with it, the CEOs are going to be fine with it. It's a bit of a schlep, but yeah. Is there an equivalent <laughs> to Shoreditch in San Francisco right now? I, 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 well, I mean, dog patch. I love dog patch, but I don't get there too often. So uh, we're we're almost getting to time, but I, I had I had a one more question. I don't know if, if Yasha does as well. We we have our standard question, which we'll get to in a moment. Mm. But I, I'm I'm curious because you get this unique access to to founders, CEOs, all these high profile people. To the extent that you're allowed to share, can you talk about one or two people that you were just utterly impressed with at a salon? That whoa, this person is something that I just did not expect and. Uh, and, and has some really thought-provoking ideas. Is there anyone that you would you would you know be willing mm. to share? Well, in terms of um, it's hard on the spot for me to think of all the fantastic people I've had, but um, this this was a, an unlikely uh, incident. Incident, I think, for me was I had been reading an article. I think it came out in about February seventh or ninth in twenty fifteen that Michael Pollan wrote about psilocybin, um, and this was before he wrote a book, and I felt he had maybe underreported some of the research because I know someone who's quite involved in it. And so I sent him a note randomly. He didn't know who I was and um, suggested he could mend his ways by agreeing to come over to my home and I would cook for 70 people. And I would interview him uh, about the topic and I would bring this other person who I knew. I was like, I'm sure you're working on a book. 
And he totally agreed to come, which I thought was amazing, not knowing anything about me. Um, and I did cook for 70 people, and he was just so gracious. Um, so that I thought that was wonderful. You know. uh, in in the, the world of salons, just yeah. to kind of pick up on salons, <laughs> if someone's not fortunate enough to get invited to one that you mm, host. They should have their own. Is that the next recommendation? Like, how do you get invited to? What should you be thinking about? What do you have to put out from yourself in order to get invited to? Sure. Well, I think, um, well, hopefully I'll have a book out, you know, in the next year or two, so I'll tell you how to do it. But um, but this is making me think I should do a series of articles on Medium or something in the interim. Uh, you know, find, everyone has topics they're interested in, and there's sort of generic topics. Like, we're all interested probably in the future of food, you know, or urban farming or, you know, something like that. Find a topic. Um, go to your local university, read the paper. Can you imagine reading the paper? Um, and then the what? <laughs> yeah, the what <laughs> in print. Um, and then ask this person if you could throw out like five or six questions, and the questions can be very simple. I mean, you guys do interviews all the time. It can be what is din- what was dinner like when you were growing up? It shouldn't just be about the topic necessarily. You know, you want to find out about the people behind them, or who is your nemesis. Um, yeah, that's it. Who is your nemesis? Who is your nemesis? Yeah, who is who is your who is your nemesis? <laughs> who is your nemesis? I'm just gonna keep asking you who your nemesis is. <laughs> uh, I I think you should live stream your next salon because I think there's this perception. Used, I used to do that actually. I mean, there's quite a few online, uh, like with Jennifer Doudna. She was yeah, she was fun to do. She's a local San Francisco resident. Actually, I don't know if you've had her on. She would be great. She lives over. She lives locally. Um, and well, we did live. We love that uh, introduction. Okay, I will do that. <laughs> we should just put on a salon dinner and have, you know, just. In, 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 never mind. I'm not. <laughs> you, should, you should do salon dinners in, to go with your podcast. Yeah. There you go. I like and, li- and live stream them. <laughs> I like this. Yeah. I like it a lot. So, uh, you know, you got you to do your, your thing. So, we have one question we ask everyone mm. um, Do you spend a lot of time on social media? Uh, really only on Instagram. Okay. So I'm going to ask an Instagram-specific question, and it is very specifically, who do you recommend our listeners follow? It can be funny, trivial, serious. And if your network's cl- completely closed down, that's cool, too. You don't have to go into there. But we would be curious if you could give us a recommendation about where you're spending your time and where you think uh, from a news uh, author, kind of broadcaster perspective, our listeners might get some mm-hmm. value. Um, so on on Instagram, I think my dog follows more people than I do, if I'm, if I'm totally honest. I mean, I like to use Instagram really for uh, following my close friends. I feel like if I'm going to follow too many brands or too many famous people that I don't know, I'll fo- follow the famous people I do know or that I'm close friends with, um, it's going – like I might start copying them, and I'm not sure that's very useful creatively. So mm-hmm. that's I, – I actually – like, I try and keep my followers under 100 or under 90, people that I follow. Um, so that, I used to follow a lot more. So that's my thinking on Instagram is really I just try and follow close friends. Um, I read a lot. I read a lot of books on all different topics. I'm reading one right now on the, the history of salons. I don't think there was many too many copies of this book printed. My next book I'm going to read is Robert Plowman on Blueprint. I have a, a document, a, a an Excel document where I keep all these different topics that I'm interested in, and then I go read books on them. So, like, another topic I think is interesting is eminent Victorians. Um, that's probably not a topic for San Francisco. And then I read a lot of print. I think print smells really good, and I listen to a lot of British BBC podcasts. So will you share the 
the Excel on Google Docs and share share it publicly? <laughs> I could do that. Yeah, I could do that. That's that's another request. <laughs> uh, you listen to um, BBC writers. You listen to BBC. I listen podcasters. to BBC podcasts because Who, I who's think your favorite right now. Well, I like uh, BBC Ex- History Extra, which is the UK's number one history podcast. Again, probably a small audience. Um, I like Moral Maze, which I think is fantastic. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know Moral Maze. Do you, Sunil? I I don't. I don't. Yeah, what's you should the, listen to it. What's the top line on it? Uh, it is they take pick a topic, so it could be um, homelessness would be one. Could yeah. Be. Yeah. This was. This was amazing. Great, lively discussion, as expected. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you so much for thinking of me and having me. I'm honored to be here. So in like the grand scheme of natural disasters that could fix the PR of San Francisco, like what's a one end of the spectrum? If is an earthquake one end of the spectrum and like an atom bombs at the other side? Like what's the what is on that spectrum? You know, I mean, as as extreme as that thought is. I mean, it is kind of an interesting thought exercise to go through what it would take for San Francisco to become a place that people empathize with again. Yeah. And, I mean, we could take a book from the East Coast that everybody could wear blue jackets and blue shirts with gold buttons and stuff, and that might help. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe this podcast can bring people together somehow. I think so. I mean, if everybody saw how often we hugged each other, they would probably empathize more with the Bay Area. Uh, yeah, so that that's sort of what what, what do we call inverse? <laughs> uh, so uh, so really great episode. Thank you for listening today. If you have thoughts or feedback, uh, you know, definitely tweet Yasha at at Kakis, K A Y K A S for those listening, and uh, you can also tweet me at Subes O One S U B E S zero one. What's the story behind Subes O One? Uh, it was a college nickname, Subes. But you were the first Soups. I was the second Soups. But you called yourself Soups 01. I love that. (laughs) Listen, if you uh, love Sunil as much as I love Sunil, the thing that you can do for him right now is wherever you listen to this podcast, you could go back to that app, back to that service, and you could rate this podcast five stars and leave us a comment because that actually helps more people find the podcast. We really appreciate your support. We have some great interviews coming up, so thanks for listening.